So, so thankful for that. Praise the Lord. Hey, let's open our Bibles this morning to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and we're going to read uh, through, we got down through verse 5 last week. I'd like to hopefully finish a chapter today. I think we can. But let's just start in verse 5. Remember, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples the, the night before he would be taken by the prison guards and he would be falsely accused, falsely arraigned. This whole false thing uh, is happening to Jesus. He's done nothing wrong. He was the most innocent person in the world and yet because he came to the earth to save sinners like you and I, the world rejected him. And that's part of the message today because the world is not a friend to the Christian. And don't be surprised when the world rejects you because if they rejected him, they're going to reject us as well. And that's something that we have to understand as we, as we walk with the Lord is that we are an, an enemy territory in a sense because uh, this world, even though Jesus, even though the Bible says that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein, that is a true statement. It is his. He created it. He has created us. He's placed his spirit in us. And even for those who don't know him, he has done this in their lives as well. And he loves them as well. Even for those that don't love him. He loves them. And yet he's done all this, and yet he is scorned by the world. And so don't find it odd that you get the same treatment. We have to understand that, because otherwise it'll, it'll take you by surprise. Because when I first got saved, I thought that it was such good news to me, and I was so excited. I wanted to tell everybody, and I was shocked to know that people didn't share my same enthusiasm. You know, I told my family, and, and they, they're like, who is this? What happened to you? Right? But we're in enemy territory, and the world doesn't understand, and they can't understand us until they themselves are born again too, and then they understand. And that's just the way it is. And so we'll look at that later today. But Jesus told his disciples to continue to abide in him, that place of, 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 of remaining and, and, and dwelling, and, and that can be done regardless of your position physically. I can abide in Christ, and I don't necessarily need to be here at the church. I can abide in Christ when I'm driving my car, when I'm at work, when I'm at home, wherever I'm at, out in the middle of the woods, climbing a mountain somewhere, all by myself, hanging from a carabiner, you know, 3,000 feet below, you know, and there's nothing. I can abide in Christ. I won't be abiding that way, by the way, but we can abide in him wherever we are at. And so Jesus, notice in verse 5, he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And if anyone... If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. And notice he goes on in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. But this, my Father is, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. And so abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father, notice, in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another." And then Jesus goes into this section that we're going to spend more time on today. And he says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said unto you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my sake, my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. And if I do not come, if I had not come, excuse me, and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. And he who hates me hates my father also. And if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But notice verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning, from the beginning. And so Jesus, as we look at this, we, you know, when we go back to, to verse one there, this vine, we looked at this last week, that the vine was the cultivated vine, was Israel. It was Israel. And these branches that do not bear fruit, you know, these are, um, we're going to see that they're a different group of people because they're cast, they're gathered, and they're, they're, they're burned in the fire. But we also looked at this word abide, and that word abide literally means to stay in a given place. It means to remain and to dwell, to tarry, and to wait. And that's what we are to do while we wait for Jesus' return, is just to wait upon him, to wait upon him, to abide until he comes. And so this word is, is very important to us. And I pray that all of you are abiding in Christ. Abiding in him, taking the time to spend with him every single day. Don't let a day go by without you opening the Bible. Set aside a time in the day. You know, For you, maybe it's in the morning. For some, it's later in the evening. For some, it may even be at lunchtime. But take at least a half hour or more a day and just get quiet because our world is so busy. It's so busy. And I know that all of your lives are just as busy as mine. But you have to, it's not going to happen by default. You have to purpose, you have to purpose with all of your heart to guard that time. Guard it. It is your life, okay? It's your walk with Christ. Guard it with all you have and don't let anything encroach upon it. Do your best to put out all distractions. Turn off your cell phones. Get someplace where you can be quiet, where the kids aren't, where the kids aren't around. I know Susanna Wesley, uh, John Wesley's mother, when he was just a little guy, and, and she had a bunch of kids in the house, and back in those days, the women wore these huge dresses. She would actually take her dress, the outer part of her dress, and stick it over her head. And she abided with Christ. That was, her private mo- that was her private time. Her quiet time was hiding under her big hoopla, or whatever you want to call it, while her kids are still running around. And she said, this is mommy's time. And they would go and they would play amongst each other, but she would find that quiet place. I want to encourage you to foster a quiet place somewhere in your life, in your home, at whatever time works for you. Everybody's schedule may be different, but get that time and spend that time and, and learn to abide. Learn to remain in him every single day, every single day. And you will find that your life, your, your bearings, your anchor is going to be so much different. Your life will change because you'll be abiding in Christ. And all of a sudden, the things that used to rattle you don't rattle you any longer. And you're going to have a peace that passes all understanding. There's something about the word of God and the spirit of God it settles us. He settles us. And I love that. I love that sense that I, I get. And there's a moment where I, where I just, I, I can't define it. And it's not definable by time. It's just a moment when I, I just sense and I have this feeling of, of, uh, of rest and, and of peace. And even a confidence in him. It's not about me at all. But I have that sense. And I'm just like, oh, Lord, I just, I want this to continue. And you know it when you're there, and it's a beautiful time, and, and enjoy those times. Enjoy those times. Foster them. Guard them. Schedule them if you have to. It's so important, folks, to abide every single day. Don't let a day go by. But notice what Jesus said in verse 5. He says, I'm the vine, and you are the branches, and he who abides in me, in him... 
and in him, um, and I in him, bears much fruit. See, Jesus wants to have fruit in your life. He wants that fruit to develop, and he wants you to have much fruit. More fruit and much fruit. And apart from the redemptive saving work of Christ in our hearts and our lives, we can do nothing of eternal value. Jesus said, you can do nothing without me. And you know, even the horticulturalists and the botanists, all these people know that there's no way for a branch or a leaf or any living thing to abide apart from its source, from its vine, from its root. It just doesn't happen. It needs to get its nutrients, its life from the source, from the vine. And Jesus is that center. And he's the one that we need to be plugged into. That's why we need to abide in him. Because otherwise, we are like a a branch that's cut off. And if we remain in that place, we die. We die, we we shrivel up. And there are many Christians who are heaven-bound, but their relationship with the Lord is such that they're not abiding. And those are usually the people who doubt their salvation because they're not feeding themselves. They're not allowing the Spirit of God to work in them. They're not abiding every single day. And when you do that, you're basically cutting off the supply. I love the way one preacher said it. He says, you know, you've, you know, get under the spout where the blessings come out. I think it was John Corson who said that. So I'll give him credit because that's a really cool idea. But get under the spout where the blessings come out. But some people say, nah, I don't think so. And they move over and they don't receive the blessing. They, they, they don't receive anything. And they purposely remove themselves. And, and my question for that, for that person is, Why did you do that? Why would you do that? When you're under the spout where the blessings come out, and that doesn't mean that it's going to be void of of difficulty, okay? You're going to have difficulty even when you're under the spout where the blessings come out. But when you remove yourself from that place, i got to ask you a question. Why did you do it? And then if if it continues long enough, I, I would start to, and again, this is a question that you have to ask, is am I really one of his? Because if I'm really one of Jesus's, I'm going to stay under that spout. I want to stay in the vine. I want to abide in him. Why would I want to do anything different? Why would I call myself a Christian if I don't want to walk like a Christian? If I don't want the Christian life in me, if I don't want the Holy Spirit in me, then why do I call myself a Christian? If I'm not willing to be all in. And I want to encourage you this morning to be all in Don't just put a a foot in and just go, oh, that feels good. Oh, I like that. Oh, it's it's a little bit more difficult than I thought, but, you know, I kind of like that. And then what do we do? Mm. (laughs) We just kind of turn the other way like a kid. And God wants you to be. He wants you to abide. So abide, abide in him. He's got everything we need. Everything that we have and can receive, it comes from him. He is our source, and he's more than just a source, believe me. He is our life. He's life eternal. He's our sustainer. He's our God. He's our provider. He's all of these things, and why would I want to restrict that? I want to promote that. I want to live that, and I want to encourage you to do the same. But notice he says there, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. This ought to remind us of a passage in Galatians where it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we are going to call ourselves a Christian, then let's, let's get about it. Let's abide in him. And in that abiding, we do those things. Yes, there is something that we have to do. We have to, get motive, we have to, we have to let it happen. Sometimes that's all it is. Just let it happen. Let the Spirit of God do it. Stop trying to control every aspect of your life. If you're one of those controlling people, you're going to be a miserable person. Because the Lord wants to get you to the place where you are taking your hands off the steering wheel and allowing him to drive. Because so often we got white knuckles and we got our hands on the steering wheel and we're like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to steer. This is my way, my path, my life. And God's, you know, and then basically what you've done is you've stepped out of the place where the blessings come out. And you are going to be not happy. You're not going to be blessed. So I have to abide in him. And he does all the work. I have to do very little. All i got to do is abide. You ever notice a branch? It never struggles and fights and kicks and spits, does it? It just hangs there. It's attached. Very happy. Thank you very much. 
just receiving, receiving. Thank you so much. I'm just receiving all this good stuff. Thank you. Just hanging there. Oh, look, a blossom. Oh, look, fruit. Oh, that's great. Just keep it coming. We don't have to do a whole lot. But as we allow these attributes of the Spirit that we just read to be lived out in us, there'll be much fruit not only in us, but also toward others and other people's lives. They will see it and they will desire to draw near because a Spirit-filled Christian is one that is attractive to, the, to others, especially those whose eyes God is opening. Who are willing to, those in the world who are willing to see and God is walking alongside of them, the paraclete. He's walking beside them And all of a sudden, they see a real believer walking in the Spirit, and they're like, you know what? That's exactly what I want. I've been looking for that peace all my life. How do you get that peace? Well, I believe in Jesus. I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. I'm in fellowship. I'm loving him. I'm serving him. And they're like, how do I? I want to get plugged into that. Well, follow me as I follow Christ. Come to church with me. Go serve with me. Let's pray together. Let's fellowship and, and let's eat together, <laughs> right? That's something we do really well at Calorie Chapel as we eat. Calorie Chapel. <laughs> See, now I know you guys are awake. But that's what we do. And notice that As we love one another, all people will see that we are Jesus' disciples. And this is all part of this fruit bearing in our life. And so allow the Spirit of God to do this work in your life. There's a, a wonderful verse in Philippians. And it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have also obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Paul says to them. He says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now notice what it says here. You can't work. What it means is God has given, if he's given you salvation, then you need to work it out. You need to do, you know, that there's something that faith does. When you have a faith in God, it produces something. There ought to be fruit. There ought to be things in my life that come out. If, if, if God is really in me, if the Spirit of God is in me, then those things are going to come out. Those things don't justify me. Those things don't save me because I'm already saved. But as a result of that, there ought to be some fruit of that. Things happening in my life where it's good for me and it's good for others because they're going to come and take that fruit and they're going like, wow, you used to be this horrible, nasty person. And all of a sudden you're like, you're brushing the snow off on my car now. And I didn't ask you to do it. In fact, I, you didn't even know that I, I didn't even know that you did it. But somebody told me that you did it. You weren't even, you're doing it so simply. You were just serving, you're just loving people. Wow. That's amazing when that happens. But work it out. And notice what it says. Verse 13 is so critical because notice, how are you going to work that out? Is it because of something you do? I mean, it is. You have to allow it. You have to put one foot in front of the other. But notice what really is going on. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Remember that. It's God in you that is prompting you doing that. So it originates with him, and we just respond. Isn't that what worship is? God initiates. We respond. That's what worship is. He's always initiated everything. We respond to what he has done, what he's doing. And so he gets all the credit. I don't get all the credit. But notice in verse 6, it says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Does that sound like a good thing? Does it? No, it doesn't sound like a good thing. There's a couple of different ways that we can look at this. There are three different ways, at least three different ways, that people have looked at this verse and and thought about it. Some believe that these are believers who have lost their salvation. I don't believe that for a minute. I believe if you are saved, you are always saved. You were either saved or you weren't saved. Now, you may be saved and going through a tough patch and and struggling, but that's okay. Sometimes that's part and parcel for being a believer but it doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. So I don't believe that this is speaking of a believer, this verse, verse 6. I don't believe that that's speaking of a believer who has lost their salvation. Some others believe that Jesus is talking about believers who are not bearing fruit and that um, really what this is is them just losing their rewards uh, in heaven. We, we know that for believers, there's what we call a judgment seat of Christ. And it's, it's not a judgment for 
uh, salvation, but it's a judgment or a giving or, or losing of rewards based on what we've done since we've been in Christ. And we read about that in 1 Corinthians 3. And I can understand why some people might think this could be it. Because remember, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, it says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Speaking of the day of Christ, when he comes for his church. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work. Remember that. Test their work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, I don't believe that this passage is speaking of that either. Because Jesus in this passage is not referring to person or persons being gathered and burned. It's not talking about their works. It's talking about them. Notice he didn't say works. He says, they will be gathered. Not their works will burn, but they. Right? And so I don't believe that that is the case either. So that leaves us with a final one, and I agree with this one. There are those who believe that those who are not abiding and thus withered are Christians really in name only. I call them chinos. Christians in name only. And Judas was a chino. He was one who appeared to be a branch but he was not, and thus he died in his sins, and he went to hell. And ultimately, he will be judged in the lake of fire forever and ever. And I tend to believe this last position because if Jesus wanted to express that these group of people that he's speaking of here that are going to be gathered together and burned, if they were believers, he would have made it a lot more clear. But he also uses pronouns that are very different because up until now, up until verse 6, he's been using pronouns like I and me and you. But here in this verse, he uses these um, third-person pronouns, he and then them and they. And it's speaking about an entirely different group of people than what he's talking about before because he's talking directly to them. But now he says they and them and these people who don't, are, who don't abide. And so they never abode in Christ. And so not abiding in the vine, by not abiding in the vine, we prove that we are none of his. Now don't be discouraged by that, because here's how simple it is, folks. There have been times in my life where I thought to myself, you know, Lord, there's, I'm kind of stuck in this place. I'm in a place, and I know, I know you love me, and I know you've got a hold on me, but I, I just don't feel it. <laughs> well, you're not alone. You're not alone. And what is the best remedy for a heart like that or a situation like that? The, the remedy is to go to Christ. Go to him. Get on your knees. Find a quiet place. You know, there's something about, and again, I don't want to get weird here. You can pray with your eyes open. You can pray when you're standing up. You can pray, you can pray when you're riding your bike along the road. And in the spring, you might want to do that because you've got to keep your eyes open. You know, so you can pray anywhere, but you know what? There's something about the humility. I, I just, I love just to get on my knees because I, I'm, I'm bowing before a sovereign one. And I don't need to do that. I just like to do that from time to time because I realize I am nothing. I am nothing compared to you, God. And you know what? I bow before you. And it's okay to bow before him privately and even publicly. But I, I do it oftentimes, not all the time. Sometimes I'm reclining on my chair in my desk and, and I'm praying but sometimes I just like to get down on the floor and just be flat on my face there's nothing wrong with any of that because he is sovereign, he's almighty God isn't he worthy after all yes. he is worthy And so, but the problem is in Christianity today there are a lot of counterfeits and imposters and Judas was a counterfeit he was an imposter and this may not be appropriate or applicable to anyone here or for anyone viewing online or listening in later on and this is an uncomfortable question, but i got, I got to ask you, are you a counterfeit? Are you an imposter? Are you a Christian in name only like Judas? Or are you a genuine believer and, follower and a follower of Jesus Christ? If you are not sure, it's really simple. Just cry out to God and ask him to forgive you. Ask him to change you and give your heart completely over to him. Surrender to him and repent of your sin. Yes. 
Repent of your sin. I need to do that. And I'm no different than you. We need to repent of our sins in our country, personally, corporately, nationally. We need to repent. We've got some huge issues, and we've never dealt with them in this country, and we need to deal with them, and they're ugly. They're national, they're personal. We need to, we need to get busy with this and be honest before God. But if you are an imposter, if you're a wolf or a wolfette, and you've come to this fellowship or any fellowship to deceive or lead others away from the gospel or Jesus Christ, then you need to leave if that is your motive. If that is your motive, you need to leave and we'll help you. In Jesus' name. But here's the thing, folks. Don't misunderstand. But if you're just a mess, like I am, if you're, just, if, you're, if you're just a mess, and there's nothing wrong with being a mess, it's not a place you want to hang out for very long, but even if, you, if, if you're just a mess and you've sinned and greatly are, and you're looking for God's forgiveness and salvation, then you are welcome here. If you're hurting, if you're broken, you're welcome here. And it doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter whether you're Democrat or Republican or Independent. It doesn't matter anything. You are welcome here. You're welcome Because God wants to touch your heart. As he's touched mine, and as he's continuing to touch mine, there are no enemies within the church. There ought not to be anyway. So bring your mess. Bring your mess. The Lord will love you and he will bless you if you are willing. But unfortunately, there are imposters. Judas was one of those imposters. He was one of those who looked like a branch. Everybody looked at him. Boy, he looks like a branch, but he really wasn't a branch. He had everybody fooled. All of the disciples were fooled except for one. And who was he? Jesus. Jesus knew all about Judas. He had all the right words to say. He was a smooth operator. He was a smooth operator. And he was a deceiver. And he had everybody deceived but the Son of God. And unfortunately, there are people like that even in the church. They need to be saved. If they're willing, if they're willing. But John tells us in his first epistle, he says, Little children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist, the person, is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, meaning these were people who were in the church, but now they have gone out from us. They look like a branch, but now they're gone from us. They went out from us, but they were, not, they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued. This word continued, underline it, because it's the same word as the word abide in, chapter five, or in verse 5, where Jesus said, abide in me. This same word is the exact same word. They didn't stay with us. They weren't, they weren't abiding. They weren't remaining with us. They didn't continue with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. And God, do you think, does God delight in the death of the wicked? Of course he doesn't. Does he want them to come into the fold? Of course he does. But there are people who are imposters and counterfeits. And they can be among us. And if you hear of somebody trying to get you away from the simplicity of the gospel, then you'd need to talk to them or talk to one of the pastors. Talk to me or one of the pastors or elders. We need to talk to them. It's important for us. It's important to all of us that we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Matthew's gospel talked about the wheat, the parable of the wheat and the tares. And he says, and Jesus put forth a parable to them. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. And the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, did you not know or did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. And you know that if you have plants in your garden, 
There may be a big nasty root living next to it, and the plant is doing fairly well, but if you uproot that, that thing, it's got wrapping around the, the, you know, you uproot the good plant with it as well. He's like, no, wait for it to come to harvest, and then take them. And that's what he says. But he said, no, while lest you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to do what? To burn them. And this is who I believe Jesus is talking about. But gather the wheat, gather the believers into my barn Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you in John 14. We already looked at it, right? He's going to take us to his barn. We used to have this 80-foot tree in our front yard. 80-foot tree, those two of them. And one of them got struck by lightning, and the other one looked pretty healthy. And it looked on the outward to be very healthy. And one day I saw a squirrel go up in the middle of these two huge trunks. I mean, the trunk was, it's one of those big uh, yeah, it's really huge, the big ones that you see in Penfield that have been here for over a couple hundred years. It was one of those, and I saw a squirrel go up in the middle of the Y of the tree, and he just kind of disappeared, and I'm like, it looked like he went down in the middle of the tree. Is that, maybe he went over the other side, so my curiosity was piqued. I get out the ladder, I take it out there, and I stick the ladder against the tree. I walk up, and I'm looking in, and there's a hole in the center of the tree that I could not see. And it was filled with water and dentritus and just buildup of all kinds of material. And I had no idea that the tree was dead on the inside, but on the outside, it looked fine. Now, why was this a problem? It's 80 feet tall next to my house. And why is it a problem? Because if something, if a windstorm comes, one of those branches were right next to my daughter's room. And my daughter and the room would go bye-bye. That's how big this tree was. And so we had to get on it quickly. And they came out and they cut that thing. And as soon as they, you know, they got all the branches off and stuff like that, and they got down to where the trunk was, and they, they cut it. And as they are cutting with this huge still saw, I love those still things. Guys know what that means. But anyway, as they're cutting through it, the water and the junk is just gushing out like a river, flowing out onto the street. And I'm just like, oh. But it looked like a branch. It looked like a healthy branch, but inside, dead. Dead and rotten. And on its way to falling over and killing somebody, either me and my whole family or somebody along the road. But notice what Jesus said in verse 7, If you abide in my works abide in you, you shall ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. When people read this, they immediately think it's carte blanche, that because I'm a Christian, I can just ask God what, he, what I want and he'll give it to me. But that's not... The case because we know that Jesus already qualified this statement earlier in chapter 14, and he said this, and whatever you ask, and here's the qualifier, underline this, and this is in John 14, verse 13, if you ask any, whatever you ask, in my name, that I will do. And we've kind of already talked about this, but whatever we ask in his name, I'm not going to ask him, you know, for a big house by the lake, because my house is fine. Love my house. It's small. It's not really big, but it, it's just right for our family. I don't need a big house by the lake. It would probably lead me into sin if I got a big house on the lake. I don't need seven Hummers in my driveway, one for each day of the week, different colors. You got the picture? I don't need that. I don't need a $7 million in my bank account. That'd be nice. But it would probably ruin me. I don't need that. So why am I going to ask it in Jesus' name? I'm not. And why would he do it? He's not obligated to answer a prayer like that. He knows it would probably hurt me in some way. And would a loving God allow something in my life that's going to hurt me? Especially if I pray to him about it? No, he won't. But notice in verse 9, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Notice Jesus' example here. And he's saying, As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. Notice he doesn't ask you to do something that he hasn't done or is not willing to do himself. He went before us. He's, that's what makes him a good shepherd. See, other gurus of other religions in the world, they don't care about you. They want you to serve them. They want you to give money to them. They want, us, they want you to do all the dying and for them to do all the living in Palm Springs in their new house that you have funded with all of your generous donations on, online. Right? But that's not God. He's done everything for us. 
He's done everything for us. We don't have to do anything for him except love him and serve him and worship him. And everything that comes out of that very naturally, it's very simple, very freeing. It's really not any more complicated than that. But notice in verse 10 what Jesus said, a conditional statement, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I have spoken to you that my joy, notice it's his joy, that his joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This idea of joy is cheerfulness. It's a calm delight. It's gladness. And I love that. I love joy. And joy is not always dependent upon circumstances. I can have a joy even when things aren't going so well because I know my position in Christ. You know, we came home from Florida when we went there in in November and we came back in the beginning of January and we found out that our our, uh, water heater, hot water heater, was leaking and it was a big pool of water was starting to accumulate in our basement. You know, I can even, I can say, thank you, God. I had joy because, you know what, it could have been a lot worse. And I knew he allowed that to happen when he did. And even if he didn't, I could still have joy because guess what? It's not the end of the world. All this stuff is just temporal. We can hold on to things too tightly. And sometimes the Lord is saying, hey, will you just let go and enjoy yourself? Just let go. Believe me, you'll sleep a lot better and you'll be a lot better to be around. Just let go. Just let go. Trust me. (laughs) Trust in me, God says. Will you trust in him? Will you abide in him? Verse 12, he says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And notice, greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's life down for his friends. This word love here in verse 13, this is agape. This is the word that the Greeks, that's the highest form of love in the Greek language is agape. It's selfless. There's nothing about self in this word at all. It's all benevolence. It's all doing something for the other to benefit the other and not caring about oneself. That is what agape is. And in fact, he qualifies it by the context that he puts it in. Look, notice, greater love has no man than this than to lay down one's life. I mean, is there anything that's called the greatest? What is that? What is that? The word? What's that? Well, it it certainly is a a great commandment, but it's like the ultimate sacrifice, isn't it? You can give away something, no big deal, but when you put your life on the line, ah, that's a whole different ballgame. And what Jesus is saying is that the highest form of love is when you're willing to do it. Not that you have to, but you're willing. And this is interesting because we might have the grace to die for a spouse or a child or someone that we love, maybe even a really great person. But I, you need to know that Jesus went even further than this, and he did what nobody else would do. And what was that? It says in Romans, For scarcely a righteous man will die. Will one die? Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But notice verse 8, but God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, I might be willing, and I'm not going to boast of anything, but I, 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 I think I would be willing to die for my wife or my daughter. If somebody says, look, it's either you or them, I'd say, well, make it quick. You know, I mean, I'd like to think that I would do that. I'd like to think that I would because I love them. But put me next to a serial killer, and they say, one of you is going to die. Which one is it going to be? In the flesh, I'm going to say, him. And guess what? I'll have an audience all behind me, all the parents that this man has killed. Yeah, put him to death, put him to death. And I can walk away, and they can do their business. But that's the person Christ died for as well. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, that's the kind of love that he has, which is so different from my love, because my love is conditional. If you do this, if you do that, then I'll love you. If we have fellowship, I'll love you. If we have same interests, the same kinds of things, we like the Dallas Cowboys. Anybody here like the Dallas? Eh, whatever. People. All right, I like Dallas. My name's Rob Kellogg, and I like Dallas. But, but that's the thing. I can have this camaraderie with them. You know, but what is that? You know, Christ died for the ungodly. 
He died for me while I was still yet a sinner. And this kind of love is not natural. In fact, it's supernatural. That's why we need the Spirit of God working in us and through us. That's why we need to abide. Verse 14, Jesus said, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. That's a tough order, isn't it? No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. I called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Notice that. What God has, what God has spoken, God the Father has spoken to Jesus. Those are the things that he has shared with his disciples. That's what a friend does. A master and a slave relationship, they don't do that. You know, if, if, a, if a man owns a business and I'm one of his workers... He doesn't tell me the ins and outs of the business. He just says, go do this and do that, and I just simply do it. But Jesus says, I've told you everything. And hasn't he told us everything? I mean, you look at the Bible, he's told us everything, the big picture. We may not know what's going to happen tomorrow in the minutia of life, but the big, 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 you know, broad brush of history, he's already told us in advance. And he's done that so that we could be at peace that we could have assurance that he's in control. And I love that. See, that's what a good shepherd is. That's what a good shepherd does. He prepares, he tells in advance, you're his friend. We are a friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God. We don't have time to go there. And if you um, go on our website, you'll be able to see these slides. You'll be able to look, open a PDF and see these slides as you listen to the podcast again or whatever. But we're going to go on here because I want to get to something. But Abraham was a friend of God. Notice in verse 16 it says, You did not choose me, Jesus said, but I have chose you that you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask in my, the Father, notice, in my name, he may give it to you. Back in the 70s and 80s and even the 60s, people have often said, Well, I found Jesus. And yeah, you may have found him, but let me suggest to you that he found you. While you were wandering, while you were the prodigal, running around in the world, doing all your drug, sex, and rock and roll, Jesus was coming after you. And interrupting your life at different times. I had people like that in my life, and one of them was David Rickards. A guy who would intervene in my life at different times and tell me, Rob, God's got a plan for your life. He loves you. Give your heart to him. Oh, whatever. You know, good for you. Isn't that the common expression? Hey, if it works for you, that's great, man. But, you know, I've got something else going on and it works for me and it's different for you. So you do your thing and I'll do my thing and we'll sing kumbaya and we'll go home. No. He found us. He found us. I didn't find Jesus. He found me. He always knew where I was. He always knew where I was. And I think it's wonderful to know that God has chosen us. And if he's chosen us, then there's a reason and a purpose for our life. Never forget that. When you think to yourself, my life means nothing. Oh, it means a lot to God. And it doesn't matter. Even if you're an unbeliever, Jesus loves you with a passion he loves you with a passion. No matter how freaked out and the mess that you're in, bring your mess, right? Jesus invites you to bring your mess. It doesn't matter how bad you are. You could have been a serial killer. You could have been a, it doesn't matter. I don't even want to list those things. Horrible things. You could have been all those things. Come to Christ. He loves you. But you must repent and come to Christ. And notice, this is where the, the passage takes a term. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. What do you mean, Jesus? Why would anybody hate you? You're the Son of God. Yes, but the Son of God also is an affront to the natural man, isn't he? The Son of God has not come to make men feel comfortable in their sins. No, he's come to, to tell you the truth. And sometimes, most of the time, truth hurts. I don't like to be told what I don't like about me. Who does? When God puts a finger on something in your life as you're reading his word, take it to heart and say, God, I never knew that about me. And he's like, Rob, I knew that about you a long time ago, but only now are you willing to hear it. And know this, I love you. I'm not mad at you, but you have to understand this part of who you are and you need to surrender it. You need to come to me and let me heal you. 
Let me change the way you think. That's what repentance is. It's, it's changing. It's, it literally means as you're walking in one direction, you just do an about face and you turn the other direction. That's what repentance is. It's turning away, turning away. Notice in verse 19, if you were of the world, Jesus tells them, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. We are all guilty by association. You know that, that song by the Newsbase, Guilty by Association? That's what we are. Because we know him, they hated him, they crucified him. Guess what? They're going to hate you as well. Not everybody, but the world is not a friend to the Christians. And, the friend, you know, and so we, we can be nice to them, but they're probably not going to be nice to you. And I, I think it's interesting, too, that the world is marching to the beat of a different Pied Piper. This evil Pied Piper, Satan, the ruler of this world. And the world hates us because we do not subscribe, we don't support their system or their worldview. And let me say a few things that are probably going to step on a few toes this morning. But the current administration in Washington, D.C., and many liberal governors around the United... Many, many liberal... Not all. Did you hear me? Not all, but many. Governors around the United States are doing things that defy logic. They defy logic. They're hypocritical. They are not only deceiving, but they're also... They're they're not only deceived, but they are also deceiving and it's front and center right now. And the world knows that it's that the world knows its own and it hears its own voice. But you and I are not to march to that Pied Piper. We are not to listen or to participate in that voice, but only to those things that support the biblical worldview. And what are some things? Just to be current and applicable in what we're talking about today, what about abortion? I'm pro-life. Why? Because God is. What does it tell us in Deuteronomy? See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away, God says, so that you do not hear and are drawn away and you worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess it. I call heaven and earth as witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Yes, choose life. So yes, I am pro-life. Why? Because God is. And if you're a Christian and you're pro-choice, you've got a big problem. You've got a problem with God. You've got a problem with his word. You need to get that squared away today. And I'm not... I'm, not, I'm against the LGBTQ movement. And why is it? Is it because I'm unloving and a bigot? No. God loves everybody. And don't, don't misunderstand me, but you've got to understand, God is against it. What does it tell us in Leviticus? And I'm going to read this to you. This is uncomfortable, but people need to hear this. Because it's, got, it's not my opinion. Do you understand? It's not my opinion. It's God's word. And let me tell you, as I read this, No, I'm being serious. As I read this, it's not just about homosexuality either. God hates heterosexual fornication as well. People who are living together, not married, continuing to have sexual intercourse with each other, that is as much a sin as this is. We have to understand that. But what does God say? I'm going to read it to you because there may be a time where they're going to throw me in jail for this. They're doing it in Canada. (laughs) You shall not lie, and this is Leviticus 18. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. 
Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourself with any of these things. For by all these things the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled. Therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and you shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled, lest the land vomit you also out when you defile it. And it is vomited, and it is vomited out the nations, and it vomited out the nations that were before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations... The persons who commit them shall be cut off or literally put to death among their people. You know, I think God is just being poetic there. I don't think he really means any of that, do you? Of course he does. It's it's in plain English. It means the same thing in the Hebrew as it does the English. So their fight is with God. And let me tell you something. God loves the person. Okay, he does. Don't misunderstand me. If you see me getting heated, it's just because there's a lot of tension in this topic and I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated about a lot of things, to be honest with you. I'm trying to deal with these things myself, but this is what the Bible says and this is what we have to hold to and never be ashamed of it. Never be ashamed to lovingly confront somebody if they're willing to hear. They may not be willing to hear it, but if they're willing, you can lovingly take them to this passage. Say, look, This is what God says, but you got to know that he loves you, and it's because this is going to destroy you. And why is that? Why is homosexuality bad, especially among males? Well, let me give you a statistic. Somewhere in the 40s is the lifespan. I forget what it is, like 42 to 47 is the life expectancy of a gay male. Is it because God wants to spoil their fun or something like that? No, it's because they weren't designed for that. It's all about design. We follow God's design, we're good. We get out of God's design, we're in a lot of trouble. And so we have to obey that. If you want to live, if you want to die, then by all means, continue doing what you're doing. But if you want to live and you want God to love you, you have to abide by his rules because he loves you. He's not a bigot. And let me tell you this. He goes after the the heterosexuals too, the male and female. Exodus, you shall not commit adultery. And I think 1 Corinthians 6 sums it all up in one nice little ball. He says, do, not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. If they continue in these things without repentance, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is that my words? No, you just read them. They're God's words. And folks, we're living in a day today, we need to stand on the word of God. Because they're coming after your kids. They're coming after you, and they're not going to stop. And you don't have to stand in front of your house with a gun. I'd rather stand in front of my house with a Bible. I'd rather say, here's my defense. Where's your defense? Honestly, think about that. If, you, if, if what you think is what you, what you deserve to live in this lifestyle, and that's okay. That's your prerogative. You can live that way. But I want to tell you the truth. Why? Because God loves you. He wants to spend eternity with you. He doesn't want you to go to hell. But he's not going to stop you if, you if you're like obstinate. And you're like, no, I'm going to continue doing this because I feel like I've got the right to choose. Well, you do. Then choose. But you're going to have to trip over the Son of God before you go there. But these, this is his word. These aren't my words. It's his. And his motivation is love. And I better... <laughs> where is their source? Honestly. You know, when I share these things, am I, just pulling, am I just telling you these things because I feel this way? Is it just my opinion? No, it's not my opinion. It's all right in here. Where is their argument? Well, I kind of feel like it's, you know, because God's a God of love that we should be able to do it. No. You don't, you don't define love and you don't define marriage. You don't define anything. The word of God, God himself defines these things and they're all here. 
They're all here. You can look. And you can lovingly tell them, I'm getting a little anxious, okay, so forgive me, but they need to understand everybody who's involved in sin. It doesn't matter whether you're a drunkard, an extortioner, an adulterer, fornicator, homosexual, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It's all here. Right? Is that true? So when you, when you go out and you start sharing with people, just lovingly tell them the truth. You don't have to do it in the you know, animated way that I'm doing it because you want to be gentle, of course, right? But why does God do that? Because he loves people. He wants, to inhabit, he wants them all to inhabit heaven. He does not want to see anybody perish. For it's God's will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Isn't that what it tells us in 2 Peter 3, verse 9? He has no favorites, but we are not to love the world system. In James, it tells us, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever there commit, wants to be a friend of God or a friend of the world, excuse me, makes himself an enemy of God. Now, it's not talking about the world in, in, in the sense of the people, because we know that John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But that is true. Everyone in the world, but we are not to love the world's system of things. That's what he's talking about. If you're all in what the world is doing, you're going to be in trouble, right? That's why he says, you know, in John, 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and he lists them, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God, what? Abides forever. There it is. He abides forever. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it didn't know him. 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And he goes down in verse 5 and he says, They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. Do you ever understand the, 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 the split that's going on in our country right now, and all over the world, actually? Do you know what it is? It's a difference of worldview. It's a clash of worldviews. All their schooling in Harvard and Yale and all those fancy uh, Ivy League schools, and I've been to one of them, all those fancy schools are churning out the most godless people, not all of them, but many, teaching them a worldview that is completely against the word of God. That's the truth. That's what's happening. So is it any wonder that we're seeing such a clash? It's like we're speaking past one another. They, 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 can't, they don't understand, and we don't understand them. But guess what? We have the truth, and they don't. And so I think our point of view has a little bit more clout, don't you? And again, I don't mean to be political. I'm just being honest. This is what they need. This is what the governor of every state needs. This is what the president needs. Any president, any president, I don't care if it's Trump or whoever, it doesn't matter. They need this. They need to appropriate this into their life and make every decision based upon this and upon this worldview. That's the bottom line. And you know it to be true, don't you? And so we're not to be of the world. We're of the world, but not to be a part of it. In 1 John 5, he says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Yes. I was under the sway of the wicked one when I didn't know Christ. Before I came to Christ, I was in his hands and very happy to be so. He made me thankful that I was in his hand because I thought I had all this freedom and all this choice. Oh, I can do whatever I want. And little did I know the... the Clutch, his clutch, his hands was just gripping around me and to where I could hardly breathe again. It's sort of like a boa constrictor that wraps itself. Oh, this feels nice and warm. And you take it, you exhale, and then he squeezes a little much, and then you squeeze out a little bit more. Pretty soon you can't take a breath in. That's what sin does. That's what Satan does. And that's what he's doing all around the world. And people are ob oblivious to it. And it's important that we tell them the truth, lovingly tell them the truth.
Verse 20 says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master, Jesus says. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they've kept my word, they will also keep, you, keep yours also. And see, if the world hates the master, they're going to hate his servants. That's just the way it works. And we need to count the cost of being a disciple for Christ. In fact, in 2 Timothy, it tells us that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Don't worry about that. It'll happen in many forms. And and thank God in our country, we live in a fairly free country, although the freedoms are being stripped away from us day by day. But Jesus says, All these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had come, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. And this speaks of accountability, doesn't it? Accountability. Once I hear the truth, I'm accountable to that truth. Once they tell me that I can't run through a red light in in my driver's training when I'm 17 years old in high school, they tell me, Johnny, you can't run through that red light because if you do, there's going to be a car on the other side that's going to come and smash you and you could potentially die. And I'd say, you know, I just don't feel it. I'm just going to do what I want. (laughs) No, you, you, you pay attention. And I'm accountable to that truth then. I'm accountable. And he who hates me, Jesus says, hates my father also. If I had not come and done among them the things which no one else did, they would have had no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the world might be fulfilled, that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper, this is the paraclete, the parakletos, the the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit of God. Notice when Jesus says, he says, when the helper comes, who Jesus said he would send in his name, whom I shall send to you from my Father, the Spirit of truth, not the Spirit of error, but the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, notice he will testify of me. This word is martyrio, and it literally is where we get our word martyr from. You're going to testify of me. You're going to bear record to give a testimony, to be a witness to what I'm telling you. You're going to be a witness. And this word testify is the same word as witness that we see in the very next verse. But the Holy Spirit won't testify of a man or a movement or a church or a system. He will testify of Jesus Christ. No one else. No one else. And any man who elevates himself, his church fellowship, his, his books, his TV or radio programs over or more than Jesus Christ or the Word of God is not being led by the Spirit of God, but he's being led by his own spirit. And the worst case scenario, a demonic spirit. <laughs> Did you know that can happen in a church? A man can speak in the pulpit and, and, and be not speaking God's Word at all. It happens all the time. And I hope I'm never one of them. Because if I am, then I need you to tell me. And if I will not change, then I need to leave. But if I keep teaching this and upholding the word of God and upholding Jesus Christ, that's important. That's important. And why is that? We'll end with this verse. Almost. Sorry to keep you late. Bear with me here. (laughs) The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Are you seeing that happening? Oh, it's happening all over the place, even in pulpits. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God has created to be received with thanksgiving for those who believe and know the truth. And Jesus goes back and finally our final verse, he says this, and you also will bear witness. You will be a witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Remember that the gospel accounts were not a bunch of stories that were handed down orally through the ages and thus have been corrupted through time as some deceivers purport. That's not true. These were eyewitness accounts. You read the first couple of verses of Luke and Acts, and what does it tell you? 
These things happened in eyewitness accounts. This is something that wasn't handed down over a period of time and got corrupted through the, the, the oral transmission. No, they, 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 the experts and people in ivory towers, they like to tell you that to, to remove your, your confidence in the word of God. But they don't even know the word of God themselves. But they'll tell you that. But these things were written by eyewitnesses. And an eyewitnesses are the greatest voice in a court of law. An eyewitness. When someone is willing to put themselves under oath in a court of law because of what they saw or what they heard, this is a substantial witness and their testimony carries a great amount of weight. A great amount of weight. And this is who the disciples were. And here's our final verse. And what did they say? What did John say? They were witnesses. They were eyewitnesses. He says in 1 John chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have noticed, all the senses, what you have heard, what we have seen, that we have looked upon, that our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life. Who is it that he's speaking of? Jesus which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you. Why? To depress you? <laughs> no, that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. They walked, they talked, they touched, they heard and they had the greatest example standing before them, Jesus. The greatest example. And so do we. We have the greatest example who has gone before us. So let's seek to live like Jesus lived, to be governed by his Holy Spirit. And let's count the cost of this discipleship with him and understand that we do live in enemy territory. And let's learn to continue to abide in Jesus and make no provision for the flesh. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this passage, Lord. So many things in here, Lord. And, and Lord, we, we just thank you for your sweet presence. Lord, we thank you that you love us with an everlasting love and that you're not angry with any of us. Even, even when on our, on our worst days, Lord, you hate the sin, but you love the sinner. And Lord, I qualify. I'm a sinner, God. And I need you today more than ever. And I ask that you would fill my life and the lives of my brothers and sisters. Lord, fill us and help us to abide in you, to have that place of remaining always. Lord, would you do a new thing in us? Would you do a new thing in our fellowship? Would you do a new thing in our country, Lord? Its hands are so bloody. Our sins have reached to heaven, Lord. We are no different than Babylon of old. And Babylon, that's coming, and yet in the future, we are no different, God. Would you forgive us corporately in this country for our sins, the many abortions, the adulteries, the fornications, Lord, all of this stuff that we are so filled and guilty of. Would you please, Lord, forgive us and cleanse us and wash us in the blood of Christ and send us out. Save us. Save us, Lord. Save us eternally and save us, this country. Save it, Lord, please. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. 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 God bless you.